Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. I want to talk about college athletics in general, the landscape of uh, college football is uh, shifted. So has the entire ecosystem. Here to talk about it, University of Portland Athletic Director Scott Lakeham. Uh, give me your reaction. When a guy like Chip Kelly leaves UCLA for a coordinator job at Ohio State, it, it's not the world we grew up in. No, John. I, I live in a world where next year there won't be a Pac-12 and Washington State and Oregon State will be in the WCC. So I, I have no clue what's going on either. <laughs> Give me an idea from an AD standpoint. You know, the, with the portal being part of the equation, how fast do you have to move when you have a coaching vacancy? And for you, it would be men's basketball. That job opens. How quickly do you feel like you have to move these days? I think you. I think if you make a move or you think you may have an opening, you need to know who your two or three are and move within a week or two. I think. I think there's times in my career I've gotten it right, and there's times I've maybe waited too long and and, and missed the the candidate I was I was hoping for. But you. You can't wait. I mean, and the fascinating thing about Chip Kelly now is the way that the Power Four schools are now cannibalizing each other in a way that that we haven't seen before, right? The Ohio State just hired away the Texas A&M athletic directors. Just, it's fascinating to see it happen above us, where it used to be more those schools cherry picking the mid majors. Yeah, they're they're get they're poaching each other, which is and there's a hierarchy definitely that is shaping up even within the Power Four. Scott Lakeham with us. University of Portland. How's this season going for you guys? Uh, men's and women's basketball. Let's start there. Um, love the coaches that you have. How are you feeling about the season? Um, men's, I, I felt really good. We had a couple good wins last week. I think we're starting to get some guys healthy again. Uh, I love the energy Shantae's bringing, and I think he's gotten to where we wanted when we, we hired him. And I think where he was a bit of a unicorn, John, was – his last roster at Eastern Washington, he didn't have one transfer. He was about a guy that would develop young players and, and make them in all-conference or, or key guys by the end of their career, and that's that's what he's doing. We're, we're redshirting some guys that could probably help us now with the long game in mind. Um, now the cynicist would say, how do you keep guys in this market? And that's that's what we're working on, but I – you know, it's a different game now with the portal and NIL, and I think, um, especially on the men's side, when you think about recruiting with coaches, it's more about recruiting your own roster back every year mm. than, than than recruiting the outside world, uh, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, you and I could talk about this all day, um, but I. I mean, Shantae, the energy, the, the young guys we've developed. Uh, we've had a couple of guys be WCC Freshman of the Week already this year and feel feel good about where we're headed there. I think women, we're lucky that um, we have one of the best coaches, I think, on the West Coast. Uh, we're uh, Mike won again last night. We're 9-2 and two in the WCC, uh, probably have the best freshman in the league, and um, you know, have a chance to win the league and, and dance in March again, which is which is all you can ask for. The you know when I look at your conference, I don't immediately think NIL, 
But give us an idea in the WCC. You know, do you have is 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 NIL as big a deal, or is it just the portal and trying to retain your guys? What role does that play in the WCC? I think they're they're playing a more significant role. I think we saw NIL play a, a bit of a role last cycle. I think it'll it'll play much more of a role this cycle. And the, I mean the portal, it's I mean it's open season, both coming in and coming out. And I think we were in a world before where you you know you hoped maybe we'll only have two or three open scholarships in a year. Now you expect to have a handful with with just the general movement and i you look at the mid-major world right if a if a kid's not playing well you know maybe they're going to hit the portal because they want to play somewhere else or you know if a kid scores 20 a game and gets attention from a power four and 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 maybe gets lured away i mean you could have openings at all sides so you've got to be ready Scott it's all, it's with, the coaching yeah. search question you asked john right I mean, it comes all the, back the coaches to have to think the same way yeah comes right back to it i i just i you know i'm i'm taking it you know there's not anything i could do to stop any of this i'd love for it to go back i do think though that players should get um you know should share in the success i I, i'm okay with name image likeness like a lot of people but i you know i i'm just worried that we're getting you know flying too close to the sun so to speak this is going to look too much like professional sports and i wonder if conferences like the wcc will be the place where we all go to kind of get a taste of what what it used to be. I don't know. Is that too Pollyanna? Uh, no, I, I'm I'm right there Pollyanning with you, John, if that's a word. Um, you know, it's different. I, the NCAA is such a, a vast world, as you know, right? And I have a son who's a Division three football athlete at Linfield, and then you think of D2, and then D1 is about eight different subdivisions now. And the reality, and you mentioned this earlier, you have two conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten that are fully driving the train right now. Um, and, and I do think it will self-correct for everybody. I, I believe in the model at a, at a place like ours or PSU or Pepperdine or wherever, but uh, we're not in the football game, so the business looks different for us. Yeah, give me an idea that with the Pac-2 joining you guys next season to play, how was that received by the ADs as you guys kind of mold that over leading to that uh, agreement that you made with the with Oregon State and Washington State? The ADs loved that move, John. I think if you look at us as a league, I mean, how many schools are going to be in the Big Ten next year? 17, 18? Um, we were sitting at nine. So we would have been the smallest league this side of the Ivy League, which is just a different animal of itself. So we have been looking and working to add permanent members for a while, and I, I imagine we will get there. But being nine was not sustainable. Um, if we lost a school, it was hard to schedule non-conference games because we had to schedule so many. Um, to have those two fall in our lap, if you will, was, was fantastic. I thought Stu Jackson did a good job taking action and, and grabbing them right away. Um, and I'm thrilled they ended up. When I heard basketball, uh, it was great. And I, I credit Shante and Coach Meek here, like, bring them on. That's a great challenge. Let's play them. But um, for us, I'll put it this way, John, this will be the first time that we'll be able to bust to a conference opponent in four decades, right? 
um, to have Oregon State nearby and now have a Gonzaga-Washington State trip is great. It gives us some regionality because for us in Gonzaga, I mean, we're going to California for you know, 75% of our league games every year. So it's nice to have a couple schools up here. What do you see happening at Gonzaga? Because I think there's some concern in that fan base that, you know, they've lost some of their edge, um, that they won't be what they used to be. Is this conference catching up to them? Well, I think the conference is pretty good, too, right? I mean, I, St. Mary's is that's a really good basketball program um, this year. I I think Gonzaga is still an elite program, and I think you can be an elite non-football school. They've they've proven that. I, I think they'll continue to prove it uh, in the NIL era, um, much like the Big East schools do, St. Mary's. Um, you know, USF's had a good run the last couple of years. I think it is. I think it is very possible, um, and I think we'll see how it all plays out the next couple of years. As the you know, we talk about another subdivision and and what happens with the Power Four. How do we protect March Madness amid all of the changing that's going on? Because as I think about college athletics, that tournament's not broken. It's it's thrilling. It's one of the best things, best sporting events, uh, you know, on the calendar regardless of professional or college, it prints money. That thing's working. How do you protect the tournament while you know there there has to be a reckoning, I guess, in the other areas of college athletics? Well, my hope is what's happened to date is the TV partners continue to say that that the model that you just mentioned is the one we like, right? It's that it's the opening weekend upsets and the Cinderella's and the teams in the Sweet 16. It was, you know, Gonzaga's run to the Elite Eight um, years ago. That's what CBS and Turner and the, the partners have been interested in over the years. So, so my hope is that the TV partners continue to say Cinderella is an important part of the dance. Uh, we want to keep it there. And I, I would extend, I think, obviously, basketball is the revenue arm of the NCAA. Uh, in you know 90 plus percent is March Madness, um, but for all sports, John, you know, for our our men's soccer team to get to knock off UCLA in the tournament, and our you know women's basketball team to get to play Oklahoma last year, I think for all of the sports, the chance to go up against you know the the blue blood Power Four in the NCAA tournament is something that the the kids practice for every day. The job of an AD, how has it changed for you in the last? three or four years versus maybe even earlier in your career when you're working other places in other capacities, how different is the AD job? <sighs> That's a great question. How much time you got? <laughs> um, I, I think it's part fortune teller. I, I think before we used to, to live in the moment more, right? And what time's the game tonight and, and, you know, managing today, tomorrow, next week, I'm spending a lot of time answering the and thinking about the questions you're answering. What does two years from now look like? What does the WCC four years from now look like? What does basketball-only schools look like? How do we adjust to NIL? How do we protect ourselves in the portal? How do we beef up our mental health offerings for student-athletes? I'm more thinking probably 6, 12, 18 months out more than I was a couple of years ago. I'm think, trying to yeah. guess where it's going, and yeah. and I'll be honest, I didn't guess the Cougars and the Beavers 
<laughs> would be in the WCC or a lot of that. But I, I think, you know, trying to get out in front of things the best we can to find our our lane in this in this wacky race right now. Yeah, and how do you, you know, is it more about you're happy where you are, you need to protect it, or is it more about trying to see around the corner and know where you need to be in two years if if there's another a round of realignment in chaos? I think if you're happy where you are, you're going to fall behind. And I think we, we've seen that with some of the conference realignment over the last couple of years, haven't we? Um, I, I think it's just, seeing what's next and and for me you know at the basketball level john i don't think uh a national league is is out of the question with a lot of the mid-majors i mean my opinion and and take it for what it's worth is we're going to be at football only conferences um at some point in the near future i know you know that john wilner knows that we're all kind of headed that way i think basketball is a little bit of a question as we get to the new march madness tv contract and what that looks like I feel really strongly that for Olympic sport leagues, maybe there's not a WCC or a Mountain West. We're playing the schools in Oregon, Washington, California, Idaho, and there's some regionality because mm-hmm. not every athlete wants to travel five hours to play a two-hour volleyball match. I heard right? that. I think for, yeah. For, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for some of our athletes, they want to play the schools in their region. They want to play their rivals. They want to play the kids they played against in high school and club and AAU. I, I think that's where it's headed. The question is how quickly. Yeah, I, I talked to a recruit whose who's, uh, daughter, a parent whose daughter was a recruit who is, is going to Oregon State on a soccer scholarship. And they were asking me, you know, as things were uncertain, who are they going to play? And they really were interested in seeing their kid play. You know, they didn't care that, you know, is there my kid going to go play Ohio State or is my kid going to go play Texas? They you know, they weren't interested in that. They just wanted to know that uh, they're based in California and they wanted to know, "Hey, uh is it going to be like a WCC type schedule, a Mountain West schedule? If so, we just, you know, we were comfortable with that." Like I thought it was a really interesting sort of perspective and you're right. Like that regionality matters. Now, when you ADs get in the room though, and you start talking about football splitting away, give me an idea, you know, and you don't have to go down the rabbit hole here, but how hard is it to be Title IX compliant if football is splitting away and you're paying players or, you know, or, or what do you have to do to, to get around that? Well, that's the interesting thing about NIL, right? If, if NIL comes in-house, like uh, I think there's some people in our industry would like to see that, then I think NIL changes, not a little bit, but a lot. Right, um, but I, I mean, we need to look at it differently. I mean, we're looking at it differently because we have Arizona State and Central Florida in the same league now, right? We have Oregon and Rutgers in the same league. We have Stanford and Miami in the same league. We have to say this is probably not a five, ten-year solution. So what's coming next? And we all know that the you know football is the revenue drive here, right? And it's only going to grow when we go from four teams to twelve uh, with the CFP with money that's not shared with everybody else, right? That's just with those schools. So football is its own enterprise. Those schools will still have to balance gender equity and everything else. But um, my hope, the the one thing that would really bum me out, John, and you didn't ask this, but I want to say this, yeah, is if we said, hey. You know, we don't need 16 sports anymore. We're going to do four, right? And I think one of the cool things in college athletics, 
thing that I love about my job is I was at women's basketball last night. I'm at women's tennis today, men's tennis tomorrow. I've got a basketball doubleheader. I'm going to go watch baseball practice in a few minutes. We've got such a cool cross-section of 305 student-athletes, right? And it would be a bummer if we said, oh, we're, you know, we're going to be four sports instead of 16. It's important to our country. It's important to the development of our youth. It's important to the Olympic movement. And my worry is at some point we just say, ah, you know, the Olympic sports will be compromised. Yeah, and I think you're, you're, you're right. To, you're justified in that. I hear that when I talk to Power 4 athletic directors and they start to say, you know, we don't know how how long we can afford to fund some of these other sports. And they start talking about those Olympic sports getting dropped. And, you know, and they talk about it like, hey, those kids will just find clubs and they'll be able to play and train on their own. Eh, it's not the same as having this uh, wonderful system that is college athletics. Scott Lakeham is with us, University of Portland Athletic Director. All right, landscape. Let's let's shift a little more regional here. Um, you know, just kind of the state of things in sports. You know, you know, Major League Baseball. They're trying to bring a baseball team to Portland. You've got Portland State. You know, trying to carve out its place. Oregon and Oregon State are doing their thing. Where does UP fit into the ecosystem in your mind in the state of Oregon? It's a good question. I think um, I think for us, you know, it has. Soccer and I think cross country and track is what we've been known for. Um, it's been a priori- priority of mine to, to build soccer back and build basketball up. Um, and then you know we, we've had a nice run in baseball and some other sports. But I I think we're in a unique position, both ourselves and our, our friends at PSU. We are in a what a top twenty five DMA that does not have a power four team in the city. There's no UCLA here. There's no UW in town. So there is a chance for us um, to get some attention, um, to make an impact, have lots of groups and, and students cross through our campus. And I I think one of my things here in, in my 12 years, in addition to being really successful and trying to be the best we can be, uh, in our league, I mean, in the sports we competed in last year, we were second best in our league, apples to apples. And that's that's what I want to be. I want to be a really good broad-based program um, with, with focus on a couple of sports, obviously, but we want to win in everything. But the community aspect is important to us, too, John. We are a, a not-for-profit private school that's tuition-dependent. So how do we get more people on our campus? Um, one of the first things I did when I I got hired here is we brought the OSAA 6A basketball championship back to Childs. Um, how great is it to have 18,000 people on our campus over the course of a weekend, right? Um, to have the Rift City remix here, we've already seen some rub with with our crowds and getting some families here that maybe hadn't been on campus um, before we did that. How are we the best D1 athletic program we can be, but also play a role in this cool sports ecosystem. Because the one thing that's that's amazed me, and, it, and it's like this here and it wasn't like it in the Bay Area, everybody works together really well here. I mean, I, I, I love our partnership with the Blazers, and I love the partnership with the, the Timbers, and KL out at the Hops is, is one of the best at what he does. We all work together in a really cool way in this market that doesn't happen a lot of places. I love that that you know, that synergy. You're all kind of in it together, facing some of the same challenges as well. Um, all right, looks like you got basketball on a Saturday tomorrow, uh, St. Mary's. You've got uh, 
Obviously, the variety of things you talked about. Gonzaga coming to town on uh, February 22nd. And uh, Scott Lakeham, who do you like in the Super Bowl before I cut you loose? Go Chiefs. I'm a, oh, I'm a no. tortured Falcons fan. No. I'm a tortured Falcons you just fan. Said, so. You were doing fine until that. <laughs> go Niners. How's that? Okay, there go you Niners. go. Falcons, right. huh? Wow. All right. Falcons. I, I, I've had trouble watching a Super Bowl since that Patriots game. <laughs> well, if Kyle Shanahan wins, it'll kind of be a little bit of retribution, right? He was calling the plays. <laughs> further, further torture. Further torture. <laughs> Scott Lakeham, thank you. I'll catch up with you. Thank you, man. Thanks, Jeff. All right, there he goes, University of Portland Athletic Director. Men's basketball home on Saturday, 5.30. That's tomorrow against St. Mary's. Super Bowl Sunday looming. We got to talk about it. We'll talk about it next. Still can't believe somebody pulled the fire alarm yesterday on the 49ers. Do you think uh, that was a Chiefs fan, Stephen, or is that somebody just trying to disrupt the Niners? Yeah, Chiefs fan. Chiefs fan for sure. Somehow they found that out. And surprise, honestly, surprise it doesn't happen more often. I know, but it's kind of, you know, like pulling the alarm. But don't they, did they get video of the person? They catch him? They know who did it? I mean, I don't know. But yeah. But isn't that, I mean, wouldn't that be a great home field advantage? Just knowing that your fans are going to go out and mess with other teams? I guess. I don't know. Why don't, why don't more teams do that? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm asking. Why, why are teams not doing Connor this? Stallions now working the fire alarm circuit? Yeah, you gotta have people um, alarmed or, uh, you know, just watch over the hotel rooms of the opposing teams. I want to talk some Super Bowl here. Lewis Riddick talking about Brock Purdy, why he doesn't get cred. Punch it. We, we want our quarterbacks now to be the guys who do Patrick stuff. We become drunk with that, intoxicated with the guys who can throw it with their left hand, throw a no-look pass, throw it behind their back, throw it between their legs, throw it, you know, 70 miles. But we go, but what about the guy who led the league in total QBR, led the league in total QBR against the Blitz, led the league in total QBR um, against pressure, uh, yards per attempt, efficiency ratings, completion percentage above expectation. Oh, forget that. I just want to look at how he looks and how he plays. And that's why we won't ever give it to him the way he deserves. And then, of course, being Mr. Irrelevant, people think, well, he was Mr. Irrelevant for a reason. So you don't think ever the general managers ever make a mistake? Mm. Of course they do. It's I don't see it as a mistake. And I disagree with Riddick and his characterization. Brock Purdy in the NFC Championship game, one of the most creative plays that he made was, you know, on a critical third down, he starts to run with the football. He realizes he's not going to make it. Defenders just about in his rib cage, and he does a little jump pass, and he kind of does a little hook shot pass and dumps it off five yards forward downfield, and it's a first down. It was very Patrick Mahomes-like. So I think Purdy makes those plays, and to the point of like a mistake, being the last player drafted in the NFL – and it's being viewed as, oh, it's a mistake. I don't see it that way. I think there are a lot of quarterbacks who end up in a favorable position because they're not picked in the first or second round. And I'll go to, uh, you know, case in point, and I don't think this is a new thing. I think Brock Purdy's in a great situation because he got drafted by a team that had a stable of quarterbacks that didn't need to ha- have him play right away. 
They said, gosh, this guy's got 50 starts as a college quarterback. He was a winner at every level. I think Oregon fans saw him close up in a bowl game, uh, you know, that last year of his career. And, and it was just like, wow, this, you know, he's got a little bit of game and he's got some experience and let's get him in there and see what he can do. And I think, you know, you can look around college football, you find guys like Brock Purdy. I think Bo Nix is that kind of guy. And I think Bo Nix will be drafted higher because he's got a little bit of the marketing branding exposure that Oregon brought to him versus, you know, Iowa State. and But I think it's a very similar type player. And I think, you know, I, I, here's another thing. I'll go back to something that, you know, I had the fortune of covering the NFL in 2000, 2001. So I was around the Niners and the Raiders in particular. And I had, you know, at the time, people did not, not remember this, but Bill Walsh had been relegated to kind of this, advisor role with the 49ers and he had an office he had his own administrative assistant but Steve Mariucci was the coach and I got the impression that Mariucci and Terry Donahue didn't really value what Bill Walsh had to say and so Bill Walsh had this office he'd sit back there he'd give him some draft input free agency input and he was mostly sharpening pencils and I went to see Bill Walsh one day and I said you know, we started talking about the draft. And it, and I, I felt so lucky to be sitting in this room with Bill Walsh having like an hour conversation about quarterbacks being picked in the draft. And we were talking in particular right around 2000, 2001, and we were talking about guys like Joey Harrington drafted way too high. We were talking about other quarterbacks who were thrown to the fire. And, you know, and Walsh was saying, Look at the two guys that are leading the NFL in passing. And at the time, it was Jeff Garcia, undrafted, leading the NFC. And it was Rich Gannon, who was a fourth-round pick out of Delaware, who was leading the AFC. They were the leading passers in both conferences. And Walsh started kind of picking apart, like, why those two guys ended up in the situation they're in. And it was all about getting in the right situation, having the right amount of time, developing and not being thrown into something where you're in over your head. Gannon had been holding a clipboard for years in Minnesota and Kansas City. Suddenly he's with the Raiders, and now he's a he's the MVP of the NFL, 2002. And Garcia, he, he didn't get drafted. He had to go to the CFL. Goes to the CFL, finds his way into the NFL. Guess what? He's behind Steve Young when Steve Young gets concussed and gets thrown in and plays pretty well in a good situation with a good team. It was the fortune of their circumstance. And I think Brock Purdy has been fortunate. And I think to some extent, Patrick Mahomes has been fortunate to have had that injury when he first got into the NFL. He didn't have to play right away. And he had a really good team that he just sort of joined and they, they took off like an airplane. Leave it here. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.